Well, I'm sure we're all familiar with a psychological condition known as OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. It's a very real, frustrating, sometimes debilitating condition that many, many people live with. What I'm wondering today is how many of us struggle with a different version of OCD, what one therapist calls obsessive comparison disorder. <laughs> you don't have to be a psychologist to figure this one out, do you? Obsessive comparison disorder is the compulsion to constantly compare ourselves to others, producing unwanted thoughts and feelings that drive us to depression, anxiety, consumption, and all-around discontent. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm guessing the diagnosis fits quite a few of us. We just can't seem to help comparing ourselves to others. Jobs, cars, kids, homes, vacations, GPAs, hairlines, waistlines, <laughs> checkout lines. And no matter how well we might be doing in any or all of those departments, there's always someone who's doing better than we are. And as one blogger reminds us, it used to be we could wait until our annual class reunion or maybe those Christmas letters to, to be reminded of how we're doing compared to everyone else. But now, now it happens every time we pick up the phone and check our social media feed. And we are reminded of how happy and smart and successful and good-looking everybody else is. I mean, even their food looks better than ours. <laughs> and study after study has linked high social media consumption with higher rates of depression and anxiety and, and low self-esteem. It's been a problem for human beings ever since the very beginning. Ever since Cain's offering came up short in comparison to his brother Abel's offering. And it led him to murder. Now most often, OCD, obsessive comparison disorder, comes back on our own heads robbing us of, of joy and contentment and confidence. I mean, think about it for just a minute. After 10 minutes on Facebook or Instagram, do you feel better or worse about yourself? What we're going to find out in these next few minutes is that comparing ourselves to others can actually prevent us from hearing and answering God's good call on every one of our lives. So we are in week three of our series, Your Place in God's World. We're working out of the New Testament book of Ephesians. And our theme verse comes from chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We reminded ourselves that Paul wrote these words to everyone in that Ephesian church. Leaders and followers young and old, men and women, brand new believers and seasoned followers of Christ. We have all been called. And so, so far we've talked about knowing the why and the what of your calling. The why of your calling has to do with understanding your purpose. It's the big picture of what God is doing in the world and the part that he wants you to play in that story. Uh, knowing your why means believing that, that God that God made you, that he, he saved you, 
that he's shaping you, and that he's even placed you where you are to do something good in this world in partnership with him. So if knowing your why is all about your purpose, knowing your what is all about activity. It's about what you do, what you do for a living, what you do for fun, about the different roles you play in life, neighbor, friend, parent, child, employee, citizen, football fan, whatever it is. What we do gets shaped by, by why we are here, by our purpose. And as Dave reminded us last week, our what begins right where we are with the tasks and responsibilities and relationships that are right in front of us. So I hope this whole thing is beginning to come together as you begin to think about your why and your what and, and your purpose in this world. I got an email this week from a Grace Chapel person who's processing all these things, and I'd like to just read a little bit of her story as a way of helping us figure out our own stories. And this, this young woman happens to be a writer. She's a member of our worship arts ministry, and she is a mom of two young children. So she writes, I have always been a reader, a word person. In high school, a teacher told me I could be a writer, and I was surprised. I had other ideas. I accepted Christ as a teenager and went to college to study music, but wound up adding a major in English. I came to Boston for the master's program at Emerson College and earned a degree in writing and publishing. I worked in publishing, but always yearned to write my own books rather than edit other people's. Almost 10 years ago, I became a freelance writer and editor. The two sermons in the current series have given me a lot to think about. Though figuring out your why can sound lofty or mysterious, I think I know mine, to change people's lives with the power of story. A lot of people in my life are far from God. Over Christmas week, I was driving around where I grew up, and I found myself thanking God for finding me and saving me. And then I found myself wondering why. Why me? Why would God come and find me specifically? I'm not always good at starting where I am, like Dave said. And like many artists, I often fight a voice in my head that says, you're not good enough. You haven't done enough. Everyone has done more significant work than you. But starting to articulate my why has been liberating because it illuminates all the ways that why can be fulfilled. My big goal has always been to be a novelist, but that kind of writing isn't compatible with my current season of life. But I have come to love and enjoy the challenge of working at Grace on the monologues for, for Sundays and on Christmas Eve and sacred spaces and faith stories. I've struggled with how my interests and passions fit with the consuming nature of parenting two young children. Remembering my why reminds me that we are building their stories. Every day I have the chance to help them write stories where they learn about God and grace and freedom earlier and more fully than I did as a child. So I hope you can see how Megan's why is beginning to come into focus to change people's lives with the power of story. And that why, that purpose, has been shaped by the gifts God has given her as a writer with words, by her passion to see people she loves come to know Christ, and by her changing seasons of life as a student and a single person and now as a mom. And that why ends up shaping all the what's of her life, her career, her parenting, and even her work at church.
So I share Megan's story simply to illustrate how the process works, to help you think about your own story, your gifts, your passion, your season. Now, it's a process. It takes a while. It probably won't all come together at once, and that's okay. In fact, we have three more weeks in the series. Today, we're going to talk about knowing your who, next week, knowing your where, and in two weeks, knowing your go. And we'll try to wrap it up. We've provided you with a little tool called the GPS tool, Gifts, Passions, Season. And you can find that online at grace.org go. And we're offering the go course on a couple of our campuses beginning on, su- on Sunday, February 4th. But having said all that, let's spend a few minutes today thinking about, about our who. And if our why is about purpose and our what is about activity, our who is about identity. Not just who you are, but who you're not. And to get at this, we're going to spend a few minutes with one of the most intriguing characters in the whole Bible. We call him John the Baptizer, and his story is in John chapter 1. I'll pick it up at verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, John began his ministry just a short time before Jesus began his ministry. And and. If we could sum up John's life, it was that he was a disruptor. He was a troublemaker. He came in the style of an Old Testament prophet, confronting people's sin, calling them to repentance. He was baptizing, but not just baptizing Gentiles, as was customary, even faithful Jewish people. He was calling them to be baptized as a sign of repentance as well. Now, there hadn't been a figure like this in Judea, in Israel, for a long time. So there was a lot of confusion and controversy about who he was and what he was all about. And so the religious establishment sends their investigative team, their I-team, to to figure out who this guy is and and what he's doing. The first thing John makes clear is who he is not. I don't know about you, but as I was reading that story from the Gospel of John, it reminded me, it brought to mind that old children's book, Are You My Mother?, Remember the little bird going from dog to horse to cow? Are you my mother? I am not, (laughs) they all say. And so says John, I am not. First of all, he's not the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer of Israel. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Secondly, he is not Elijah. One of the Old Testament prophets predicted that Elijah, or one like Elijah, would appear again before the end of the age. John wants to make very clear, he is not Elijah back from the dead. Neither is he the prophet. This, again, was a tradition that a prophet like Moses would appear at the end of the age. And John says, I am not that prophet. What I want you to notice is that John refused to take on someone else's identity, to take on someone else's mantle or mission. He refused to be put into someone's box into a category that people had for him. He refused to to meet other people's expectations of him, even though it would have made life much easier for him and for them if he had 
gone along with the program. He wasn't trying to be someone else, and he wasn't trying to please someone else. He was comfortable and committed to being himself. I want to say that again. He was comfortable with and committed to being himself. And having made clear who he's not, he goes on to declare who he is. Verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John understood exactly who he was and who he wasn't. He wasn't the Messiah, and he wasn't Elijah, and he wasn't the prophet. But he knew who he was. He was the voice, a messenger, a significant messenger, preparing the way for the Lord. And so let's summarize what we learned from John this way. Following the call means remembering who you are and who you're not. Remembering who you are and who you're not. And the beauty of this is that when you know who you are and who you're not, it keeps you from thinking too much or too little of yourself. And that's the real danger. Because we try to discern God's call on our lives, we can't help but compare ourselves to others. And often we come up short in comparison. So we feel like we have to be someone we're not. We have to be a teacher. We have to be an extrovert. We have to be a leader. We have to be a troublemaker. Or we feel as though we've got to meet other people's expectations of us, that we have to be passionate about what they're passionate about, and we have to serve the way they serve. But we don't. We simply have to be ourselves, to be the unique person God created us to be. Now, by that, I don't mean we, we never have to change or we never have to grow. Of course we do. God is always shaping us and stretching us. But it's always consistent with who he made us to be and what he asks us to do. I'm remembering the time when Grace Chapel first reached out to me and, and asked me to consider coming to, to serve as senior pastor. Now, at the time, I was very familiar with Grace Chapel's impressive history and, and, and their reputation. I was also very familiar with my predecessor, Gordon McDonald, who, who had led this church through some of its most significant seasons of growth and influence. I knew that he was a best-selling author with a dozen or so books to his name. I knew that he was a nationally known speaker and leader. I knew that at the time, he was actually making visits to the Oval Office, offering spiritual counsel to the President of the United States. Well, who was I compared to all of that? I was a journeyman pastor from a medium-sized church that no one had ever heard of, least of all the President of the United States. I had a lot to learn about leading and pastoring and preaching. Why in the world was Grace Chapel talking to me? But I'll never forget the words Karen spoke to me just before I came up from my first visit. She looked me in the eye and said, be your own true self, she said. If you're the right person, it will be clear to everyone. 
If, if you're not, there's no sense pretending. Besides, she said, we're happy where we are. <laughs> Be your own true self. It wasn't just wise counsel. It was liberating counsel. I didn't have to pretend. I didn't have to posture. I could just be the person that, 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 that God made me to be, the person that he's shaping me to be, and, and just leave the outcome in God's hands. And the same is true for you. You don't have to be someone you're not. Some people like being up front. Others prefer working behind the scenes. Some are extroverts and some are introverts. Some have gifts for leading. Others have gifts for writing or for serving or for caregiving or for organizing. Some people are passionate about serving the materially poor. Other people are passionate about promoting the sanctity of life or about pursuing racial justice or about protecting the environment. As followers of Christ, we all care about these things. But we're not all called to these things, at least not to the same level of engagement that some of us are called to them, to make them an actual mission in our life. So we don't need to feel guilty or unspiritual because we're not as passionate about something as everyone else is. We simply have to be faithful to whatever God has called us to do and to be. There's something liberating about that. Knowing who you are and, and who you're not keeps you from thinking too little of yourself. But it can also keep you from thinking too much of yourself. And that's a different kind of a problem. Let's keep reading in John 1, verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John the baptizer understood that he had a significant role to play. He was the voice. He was the messenger preparing the way for none other than the Lord himself. But he also knew that he was just the voice. It was the one who came after him that people needed to be excited about. And so he was happy to point people toward Jesus. And he knew his limitations, and he accepted the role God had given him to play. And that is not always easy to do. In fact, a short time after John spoke these words, the people who had been flocking to hear John preach began flocking to hear Jesus preach. And John's popularity and his influence began to wane. And John's followers were troubled by that. They came to him and said, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. I can tell you from firsthand experience if you're a leader or a speaker and people start leaving you to follow or listen to someone else, it can be hard to take. It can hurt. But I would dare to say, no matter what it is you do for a living, 
If someone else does it better than you and people start going to them instead of you, that's hard to take. And if we're not careful, if we're not clear about who we are and who we're not, then we can go to some dark places with our calling. Uh, Several years ago now, a pastor and author named John Ortberg spoke at the Global Leadership Summit. We host the summit here at Grace uh, every August, and many of you have been part of it. And many people who are lifelong summit participants will say that John's talk that day was one of the most memorable talks that they've ever heard at the summit. His topic that day was our shadow mission. And our shadow mission is the dark side of our true mission. And John confessed that that as a preacher, his shadow mission is to impress people with his speaking ability and to use his gift to advance his own interests and reputation. Now imagine that. Who would have a problem like that? I can tell you why I did, because John was a classmate of mine uh, in school, and knowing that his speech went viral, a little bit of, you know. (laughs) You see, our shadow mission is what we're left with when God's call gets hijacked by other people's expectations of us, or by our own needs and vulnerabilities and agendas. We end up using the gifts God gave us to make other people happy, or to make them think well of us, or to serve our own needs and insecurities, to to, to make a name for ourselves, or to make money for ourselves, or to feel better about ourselves. And when we do that, we're no longer our true selves. We're just the shadow of the person God made us to be. And John the baptizer could have given in to that dark side when he heard that people were leaving him to follow Jesus. But listen to what he said. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. See, John knew who he was, a voice, a messenger, preparing the way, pointing the way to Jesus. But he also knew who he wasn't. He wasn't the Messiah. He couldn't save people. He couldn't save his nation. He certainly couldn't save the world. And so when people started leaving him to follow Jesus, he was happy. He could rejoice because he knew that meant he had fulfilled his mission and that people in the world were now in better hands than his. So remembering who you are and who you're not not only keeps you from thinking too little of yourself, it keeps you from thinking too much of yourself. And that is liberating as well. Because it means we don't have to save the world. We just have to serve the world. We can't fix people. We can only love people as they are where they are. We can't put right everything that's wrong with the world. 
but we can do right by whatever God puts in front of us each day. And, and when we bring our passions and our gifts together to do that, we can trust the results to God and the outcome. Anybody remember the opening line of Rick Warren's best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life? What was the opening line? It's not about you. It's not about you. When we remember that, when we remember that, that our gifts and passions were given to us by God, for God, to be used in relationship with God to do something good in the world, that is incredibly liberating. It sets us free to actually enjoy them. And when we realize that, it's like stepping out of the darkness of our shadow mission and into the light of our true calling. And that finally leads us to the book of Ephesians, which is the foundational book for our series. In chapter 5, Paul writes... For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. You see, when we don't know the Lord, when we don't get the big picture and understand our part in all of it, all we can do is stumble around in darkness, trying to find joy and make meaning out of all of our activities. And when we do that, we almost always default to making other people happy or making ourselves happy. And we always come up short. But once we step into the light of God's big picture and we see what's going on out there and the part he's calling us to play, well, now suddenly it all becomes a matter of joy. As Paul says, find out what pleases the Lord. Because the beauty of this is that the thing that pleases the Lord is the thing that's going to bring you joy and the thing that's going to bless the world as well. In fact, that's what, that's what John says. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And interestingly, a short time after John spoke these words, his life came to an abrupt end. But his mission was complete and his joy was complete because he had pointed the nation and the world to Jesus. Now, we, we received some sad news here at Grace Chapel this week. Longtime member of the Grace Chapel family, Carol Troxel, passed away suddenly of a heart attack earlier this week uh, at the age of 56, following some complications from surgery. Now, Carol had been a part of Women's Evening Bible Study for years and years. She was a faithful worshiper here on Sunday morning, sitting right over there every Sunday that she was in town, often having a guest or friend with her. But, but Carol really wasn't well known around Grace Chapel. She had a very low profile. But Carol was famous outside Grace Chapel. She was well known in the business community of Boston as a leader, and well-known for her charitable work for children in partnership with the Boston Red Sox and the New England Patriots. In fact, Carol was so well-known, so highly regarded in this town, that WBZ a few nights ago ran a special tribute to her on the evening news. Let's watch just a couple minutes of it. 
she may not have been a household name. But if you've ever been to Faneuil Hall Marketplace to shop, eat, or satisfy your sweet tooth, you likely have Carol Troxel to thank. Well, today, friends and family are mourning her loss. And WBZ's Lisa Hughes is here with a look at the incredible impact she had on so many. Lisa? Liam and Paula, Carol Troxel passed away unexpectedly this morning after an illness. She was only 56 years old. As president of the Faneuil Hall Marketplace Merchants Association, Carol was a passionate advocate for business owners at the historic Boston landmark. She also ran seven businesses at Faneuil Hall, most centered around ice cream and baked goods. Carol opened her first business at Faneuil Hall about 30 years ago, and she's the one who was responsible for making sure that Faneuil Hall celebrated Christmas in a big way. She wanted to make Christmas a focal point of Faneuil Hall Marketplace and wanted us to be known as a destination for the holidays, as a place to come and, and celebrate Christmas. So it was her vision to get the tallest Christmas tree in, in New England, which she did, and to have a synchronized light and sound show. So that was all her vision. Her loss is especially painful for us here at WBZ because every fall we looked forward to working closely with Carol and her team to bring you the WBZ Faneuil Hall Holiday Spectacular. In a statement, our WBZ president and general manager Mark Lund says, we are saddened by the loss of a member of the WBZ extended family, Carol Troxel. Carol was a beautiful person with a loving spirit and she will be missed by so many. Carol also co-founded the charity Pitching In For Kids. It's a nonprofit that raises money to help kids all over New England. And she often teamed up with members of the Red Sox for the fundraising efforts. We are going to miss her, and we know Paula and Liam, so many other people will too. Now, Carol is being laid to rest in a quiet ceremony in Pennsylvania tomorrow. But there is a memorial service being planned back here in the Boston area for later in April. Just to give you a sense for her influence, the reason it's being delayed until April is because that's after the football season and after spring training, so that members of the Patriots and the Red Sox can come and honor her by their attendance at her service. Carol had found her place in God's world. We had actually thought about sharing her story, maybe doing an interview with her as a part of this series. I had a wonderful visit with her just two weeks ago. But I certainly didn't expect to be sharing her story in this way. We are deeply saddened to have lost her from, from our community here at Grace, for her friends and family who are missing her, from the organizations and charities and the many, many kids that she worked with along the way. Carol knew who she was and who she wasn't. She wasn't a Bible teacher. She wasn't a church elder. She wasn't a big charismatic personality. She was a businesswoman. She had gifts of entrepreneurship and hospitality and generosity. She was passionate about the city of Boston, passionate about sports, the Red Sox and Patriots, passionate about kids. And through following Christ, she found a way to bring those gifts and those passions together to weave them into a story of great impact on many people's lives. Finding the biggest Christmas tree in New England wasn't just about bringing business to Faneuil Hall for Carol. It was about bringing Christ to Faneuil Hall, to the people that she rubbed shoulders with and did business with every day. 
Hanging out with Patriots and Red Sox wasn't about getting your picture taken with famous athletes. It was about giving those athletes something good to do with their fame and with their money. And about giving hundreds of kids a better shot at life. Jesus said about John the baptizer, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And I think I can say that of all the people at Grace Chapel, there are none who have more faithfully and effectively fulfilled their calling as Carol Troxell. And I just have to believe that the Lord Jesus welcomed her into heaven earlier this week with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But who are you? You're not Carol, the business person, or John, the baptizer, or Megan, the writer, or Brian, the preacher. You are you. You are a unique creation of God Almighty, made in his image, gifted, shaped, and placed in this world to do something good in relationship with him. That's who you are. If you have never said yes to God's call on your life, to that very first call to follow him, then, then that's your first step toward finding your place in God's world, is to, is to receive his forgiveness and ask him to begin shaping you into the person you are meant to be and want to be. Maybe you've said yes to that calling, but somewhere along the way, you've lost sight of your calling. And so you've been living out this shadow mission, pursuing your own interests and comfort and needs and agenda, making other people happy or making yourself happy. Maybe it's time, maybe your next step is to step into the light of God's good and loving purpose for your life. Following the call means remembering who you are and who you're not. And in that, there is great freedom, there is great joy, and there is eternal impact. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled and grateful that you should find a way to speak into all of our lives today. Through the scripture, through our time of worship, the people around us, the stories we've told, even the life of our friend and sister, Carol. Lord, we pray that this would be more than just a meaningful hour or so at church. We pray that for many of us, it might be a, a way of saying yes to you. In fact, with our heads bowed and, and, and eyes closed, I'd like to give you a moment, if you need to, to say yes to God's call today. Maybe it's yes to that very, for the very first time. Yes, Lord, I want you to save and forgive and begin shaping me and beginning today. Or maybe you're saying yes to God's call after a time of drifting or being away or doing your own thing. If, if you find yourself saying yes to God's call today in a personal way, would you just slip a hand up, look towards me for a moment, just so I can be praying for you in the days to come. Amen. 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 You're saying yes to God in a particular way. Amen. 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 
Thank you, Lord, for these moments. We believe that they truly can be difference makers in our lives and in the world. I pray for each one here who raised a hand that senses you calling them today. May they know that you have loved and received them just as they are, that they are forgiven, that beginning right now they are being made new and being prepared to walk in newness of life. Lord, our prayer is that each of us as individuals and all of us as a community will be hearing and answering your call more fully on our lives. What an impact thousands of us could have as we spread out all over greater Boston tomorrow to be your people, to do what you've called us to do in a way that only we can do it. May it be so, Lord, for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.